Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. My co-host name, name is Bruce Aldrich. We're in week number five of our COVID-19 coronavirus broadcasts. We're outside in Bruce's backyard of his home and here in Sacramento. And uh, today we have on a guy that I've, I've spoken with twice now in a few days. His name is Greg Griffin, and he's in Naples, uh, Florida. Greg owns uh, Griffin Builders, but um, tied into the car world, he races Ferraris. And uh, we talked the other day about his background. And uh, Greg, welcome to our podcast, the Weekly Driver Podcast. Um, where have we found you today, and, and what's going on? I, I assume that you're somewhere near Naples. Yes, yep, just in uh, downtown Naples right now. Yep, that's where I'm at. <laughs> okay. Well, when I when we finally connected the other day, you, the story about you began, um, and I was so fascinated by your grandfather's interest in you growing up uh, with your grandfather's interest. I believe you said he had 18 Ferraris. So we know that you're a race car driver uh, in Ferraris, but could you start again and yep. repeat the story for me, uh, but for our audience? Sure how your background with Ferrari began all those years ago. Yeah, it's, um, it was, uh, let's see, you know, growing up in the, he's, um, my grandfather, Carl Cantera, uh, just had a, an affection for Italian cars. You know, he's, he's from Italy and, um, you know, every successful businessman, you know, always wants an Italian businessman, always, wanted a Ferrari. And, uh, so he started collecting them. And, um, uh, one of his earlier Ferraris was a 1967 330 GTS and he bought it off. One great story. He found a, he, this is in Wilmington, Delaware. And he found, um, a gentleman named a famous painter, Andrew Wyatt. And, uh, for some, it's a small town. So he, he realized that he was offering it for sale and he went over to the, the Wyatt's. They have a farm, um, and he went over to go take a look at the car because he heard he was selling it. And he looked over and he saw, you know, a 330 G red, by the way, convertible GTS being used as a farm tractor. What? And I think he, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> wow. and, uh, so he bought it for, you know, $6,800 oh and gosh. I'm not sure I'm not. And, um, and he had it till the day he passed. And, uh, and he gave it actually to my uncle and, uh, and my uncle still has it today, but that was, you know, I, I grew up in this car culture of, um, I mean, he had, you know, he revolving cars, but it was just, it was just a fascinating place to grow up as a child. I mean, uh, I remember, well, let's start off in the early, uh, early, you know, we had a Maserati Merak. Uh, we had, he had, I'm not, we, he had a Maserati Iraq Merak. He had, 365 GTC four, which I used to drive all the time because nobody wanted to drive it. And, um, he had a Ferrari Daytona, uh, 512 BBI. And these are all the same time. We had, um, uh, 250 short wheelbase. He won, um, concourse Delegance with it and he restored it. Um, let's see. We had three, a Ferrari 348 one time, got rid of that. Didn't like it. Um, Oh my gosh! There's so many of the cars. Uh, 512 BBI. Um, How was that 512 uh, BBI to drive? Did you drive it? Um, I I learned to drive stick on a 512 BB, the carbureted version, and that was everybody wanted the carbureted version more more than they wanted the BBI. And I grew up and I I learned to drive stick on on the BB. My dad went to <laughs> wow. Italy and picked it up and 
it was a great story and uh that's i don't think you guys have time for that but um bought it in italy bought a 70 70 79 76 or 79 but it was all car i forget the exact it was carbureted and uh you know brought it over and it, it would and first he got it off the boat he couldn't even drive it because it didn't want to go below 50 miles an hour because it was so the carburetors weren't tuned yet but um but yeah what a, what an epic cool car um really hard real i like it's old school ferrari it's really hard to drive extremely fast i love this the, the gated shifter I mean, we would take it out on 95. I mean, I did, I did 170, 75 miles an hour in that car. Oh, just my gosh. Effortlessly. Yes. And um, it was just, the steering was such a beast. But the only thing, it, the only thing that made your flaw with the car is the air conditioning didn't work real well because the radiators were in the front, and they, the heat, that would release the heat, and that would that would actually cook you, basically, inside the car. Wow. It was so hot. That, um, that, was, so the days, great... that was the days when, like, especially Ferraris, but any of your Italian exotics were pretty finicky, right? I mean, like you just said, air conditioner not working so well, carburetors oh. needed tuning all the time, and things are different oh, yeah. now. Oh, it's completely, and that's why, that was kind of the appeal back then for Ferraris, and I, I was talking about Ferraris before, you know, yes, he had, you know, up to 18 Ferraris at one time and, um, had a couple of Lamborghinis too in there. Um, but these cars weren't, they were expensive, but they were, they're not, they were kind of like Fiat back then. They were, they were funny, quirky little cars, Italian cars that, that people liked them, but nobody really wanted them. And, but they, they didn't become real popular until about the, um, the eighties. Oh, he had a 288 GTO too. I have a good story about that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, so when the eighties hit and we, we would go and I grew up with, um, cleaning these cars. That's what I did. I was kind of like my little job. I clean all the cars and we'd go to car shows with them and go to all our local car shows. And it was still, there's still great, amazing car shows. Oh, we had a, oh, we had a super fast. And then my uncle had a super fast and it, it was on, um, one of the three super fast that the DuPonts had. They had a red one, a green one, and I believe a blue one, because I remember my grandfather had a picture of all three of them together, and we had the maroon one, um, 500 super fast, and I remember my, my dad driving it to um, through the Baltimore Tunnel, screaming through the Baltimore Tunnel. And, uh, <laughs> must have been a nice sound. Oh, God, that must have great. sounded great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, it, it ended up Pierre DuPont on Wayne Carini, went looking for it, and they found wow. it in Europe. It's a whole episode online and I, it's the maroon 500 super fast with a tan interior and my my uncle owned it and we were just my, we would just drive the wheels off that thing it was hilarious and so pierre dupont wanted it back all three duponts is wilmington delaware is a very dupont state yes i remember they that. bought the, right they bought these three 500 super fast and they were all different one like i said one was maroon on the outside one was blue one was it was an old picture one was like a light green i, I believe so but yeah, I mean, I just so many fun, great stories, and that's how I got into Ferraris. Um, uh, just growing up, you know, and uh, yeah, it's it was a fun world. Now you really mentioned world. you yeah. mentioned Greg that um, your uncle has one of the of the eighteen, and are all of them now other others gone or is there others yeah, still? Gra- yeah, yeah, my my grandfather passed, and he um, three thirty GTS. My uncle has, and. Um, I, I know he sold the 288. I've seen it for sale. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, you know, he, he, st- he pretty much sold all of them. But my dad has a 330 
GTC, and I grew up in the back seat. Of, I don't know if you look, know what a 330 GTC looks like, Ferrari. It's two seats, and it has a luggage rack. And I grew up um, in the back, riding in the back of that luggage rack. Oh, and my gosh. You'd probably be thrown, you'd be thrown in jail right now if you were driving around with a kid in the back of a luggage rack. But that's where I, I grew up. So. I was eight or eight years old or nine years old. And, and uh, yeah, just, just fun memories. So. I, I grew up uh, driving around in the back, uh, behind the back seat of my dad's VW Bug. But I guess that was luxuri- <laughs> yeah, exactly. luxurious compared to what you're, you're describing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, if, if, Greg, if you fast forward some in, in the world that we're in with um, uh, coronavirus, you're still on the horizon for you, if I, if I remember correctly, is that you have... Um, you love the 12 hours of Sebring and you, and you do 24 hours of Daytona. And is it in November, December that I recall? And, um, you said that you've heard some new noise, uh, some news about racetracks opening up. So what do you see as you're racing, uh, in the near future? And then a few months from now, what's going on in your world in terms of your, uh, your passion for racing? Yeah, I've been, um, I mean, it's always a open discussion. I'm always doing some fun things. I mean, you have to, the audience, I'm, I'm an amateur racer. I'm yes. not a pro. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a fun world to be in. You know, I'll never, I'm about a second, uh, a second to a second and a half, um, off of the pros. And, um, I, I like one story I had, I was uh, doing, uh, racing in a, a um, a really fun series called Challenge Club Racing with all Ferraris and and I one of my good stories at, at Sebring, I actually matched the time of qualifying time of Andy Lolly on Flicks and I was and I wasn't on Flicks, that was my I was like uh, and they came over and accused me of cheating too by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, but um, you know, just being an amateur racer, I'm right now, I've got a four five eight challenge and I'm racing an international GT series. Um, so we're doing that and there's probably, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but, um, we, we just did Sebring and it's typically a four day event. It, it, this particular event was mixed in with, um, SVRA and, uh, international GT. And there was probably over 200 cars there. And, um, it's a great weekend. Uh, it's, um, one day practice. You qualify, you have two qualifyings on the fr- let's say it, um, a Thursday practice, Fridays, uh, two days of uh, qualifying, uh, two two heats, and then um, you have two races on Saturday, two sprint races, which are about 30, 40 minutes. And then we, have, I like the enduro. There's a a 90 minute enduro on um, on Sunday. So great. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm doing international GT. Then I'd like to. I'm doing um, the 12 hours classic with HSR uh, at the end of the year. And the 24 uh, classic with HSR, so that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've just been waiting to see what's going on. Sure, I think you mentioned to me that you're a, what did you say, a, a passionate amateur on a budget, something like that, right? You have a crew. No, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you tell yeah, us, we, um, Greg? Could you tell yeah. us what it takes to uh, campaign a, a, tw- a 12-hour event like that at Sebring? I mean, how many mm-hmm. how many trucks, transporters, people, spare parts? whatever yeah okay that's fine um we have uh we have about a 40 44 foot trailer with awning and um we usually i usually team up with another um 
uh, it's the team is called Speedworks, around, yes. uh, or, uh, basically Orlando, Florida. And uh, we usually bring um, a couple cars to keep the cost down. So we bring about we bring two four five eight challenge cars. We bring we have a, a Ford uh, American Le Mans Series GT Ford GT with us, and um, and sometimes we bring um, a Radical with us, um, and then we have another four five eight challenge. Sorry, and um, so yeah, we basically have a setup for the weekend. We set up on Wednesday. We have between two to three mechanic or one main mechanic and and two like an engineer. And a driving coach. I have a driving coach, uh, Chris Hall, and uh, and basically that setup. You know, we go out, we test the cars the first day, make sure everything's in okay, and then we do some baseline laps uh, with the cars, and we use uh, data acquisition systems, and then we put uh, we do our setups with the tires and and, and the um, suspension and the car. And then we, um, uh, basically we'll, I'll get in the car. I'll try to get my times to where the pros at. And then, you know, we'll keep fine tuning to there until we get to, you know, race conditions. So, um, so we have about, yeah, well, we run about three guys. We have main mechanic, Bill Folkrod. Um, and then we have two other, uh, mechanics, Ryan, and then we'll also have a helper. I mean, if you have, if you have, Four cars, you really need about six guys, but we run between a skeleton crew between um, about four, three to four guys. So it's 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 craziness. It's just it's the second you get there, it's just nonstop. So sounds like fun. I always tell my wife that. Yes. How (laughs) many? uh, um, You're not driving for twelve hours, are you? Well, the way that, uh, the 12 hours um, of seat, the classic works is uh, you are rotating within groups and we stop about one one thirty two o'clock in the morning and we, we kick it back up about uh, about 7.30 in the morning. Um, so it depends how many, how they grouped it. Um, it's, you know, you're rotating every three hours and they do that for safety reasons. So that we can work on our cars. There's a lot of historic cars that are in it, and so they need to be pulled off and worked on. And you can't fuel, you you cannot fuel on on. You have to fuel behind pit wall. That's the same thing with a 24-hour classic too. So it, and it it's it's pretty grueling. You know, you you are on the track every three hours, so you're rotating through grooves. Is what you're doing. It depends on what the schedule is. So I sure. see. Now, uh, I know that obviously 24 hours is, is twice as long as tw- 12 hours, but is the endurance and the fatigue and every other factor, is it exponential? So it's, it's more like 12 times 6 or something uh, if you do a 24-hour event? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty naive in that respect, but I can imagine it, it must be really grinding. Yeah. One of my first events, um, I did a... Well, I've done the, I mean, the Enduros are kind the Enduros are 90 minutes. So you have two uh, pit stops. And I, as an amateur, I really thought, ah, you know, a pit stop, you just pull in, they tell me what to do. And I'm fine. They're actually very difficult to do. I didn't realize the timing that's involved in this. We, what you do, you have to be called, you know, called in. So they call you in and believe it or not, making decisions of when to come in and when not to come in during, let's say a 90 minute Enduro um, is actually a difficult 
situation. So, so just think about it in the mind of a racer. So basically, I don't know if I can explain this well enough, but I'll have the last 12, uh, a couple of years ago, we had, we, uh, we were campaigning a 360 Ferrari 360 challenge car. So it was about 11 o'clock at night. We were out there. And, um, so the, there was an accident and I was able to pull in before the safety car went out. So, so safety car comes out, I pull in, you have to sit there mandatory for five minutes. That's the rules. And so you have to time it. You can't, so they're timing you. And so the pace car comes back around and you jump out in front of the pace car. Well, guess what? You're one lap up. Yes. So you come up. So getting out in front of the pace car allows you to get one lap up. So for about, about three to four hours, we were first place of like 40 cars because we got out. And so strategize, you know, there's a lot of strategy involved in the pit stops. I had no idea. Gotcha. I follow NASCAR. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. NASCAR, it's, it's amazing yeah. how intricate the, it's amazing. everything is, yes. Yeah, and, and I tell the guys, I, when I'm in the car, I'm like, I can't, I, you can't think. I no. go, just tell me what to do. That's it. I can't think. <laughs> Isn't that something? Well, jumping yeah, into, I'm a, the jumping yeah, into another area, it's okay. Um, you mentioned the other day, and I had just recently read a little bit about it with, again, with the situation that we're in where, um, things are shut down or at least postponed for a while. The, uh, we, we had a, quite an occasion here where the guy from our area spoke up while he was iRacing um, and got um, his sponsorships taken away. And uh, Carl, uh, Kenny, Carl, Kyle Larson? Was Kyle Larson, yeah. Carl, he's in Elk Grove, which is outside of Sacramento. Anyway, that uh, triggered a thought about iRacing, and I had asked you the other day about iRacing. And what you thought of it, and um, it's it's got, gotten quite popular in a very short time. But um, right. you, I remember you telling me that you're not a particular fan of it. And could you share that with us again? What what that experience has been like for you, and and why it's not um, your your particular uh, your favorite thing to do by by a long stretch, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, I mean, I've done the i racing. Um, there is the iRacing and then there's, you know, the very expensive simulators or they're a hundred thousand, 200, 300,000. And I've been in both scenarios or both of them and the iRacing, the only, I was just speak from my experience using it. It's uh, it's, it's wonderful. If you've never been to the track, it, it just kind of gets your mind comfortable. Um, but where you're at, you know, where you're at and, and, um, and the repetitive motion, but it's there, it does not, even come close to the real racing um i i just I'm, I'm not a big fan of it i mean how can you reproduce the bumps at sebring how can you reproduce the boot at Watkins Glen? you know the the elevation change especially the elevation changes you can't or the changes the the hill you know the the, the hills at vir you know what i mean or the the g-forces on that so um you know it i don't really I will use it just to know where I'm going, and and then I'll I basically stop. The more expensive simulators I've been in, I, I I know a lot of pros are using them, and they've been using them for endurance, like mental endurance. They'll turn the trailers down, you know, they're in trailers. They'll turn the the heat the heat up on the trailer, and and then they'll you know sit in there for six you know four hours, six hours, or whatever. They just simulate the the racing and the concentration that they need and they use it for concentration so the, the more expensive ones i've found i get sick because it's got 
you've got screens on the left and the right, and you're, the motion is not matching the screen. And so you kind of kind of get like a vertigo. Um, so I, have, I haven't really enjoyed those either. So but great, great technology. So, Greg, the iRacing ones, the typical ones we see, I, um, like for the TV, the, this, the NASCAR events, right. for example, they, they don't have any uh, um, physical feedback at all in them? I mean, you don't feel any kind um, of G-force. They don't tilt or or uh, any feel in the steering wheel or anything. Yeah, the, the the I I have, but it just doesn't it just doesn't match. It doesn't. You oh, know okay. what I mean? Like the sensation doesn't match. It's it's a weird thing. It just doesn't. It just you, you know. I don't know. It just it's doesn't quite feel there. right. Yeah, and I just it just doesn't do it for me. If it if mecha- like mechanically in your mind, if you if you're just, you know, you, you just, you get your brain comfortable with, with where you're going next. That's all it does. But when you get on the track, the sensations don't match the eye racing. They just okay. don't, you know what I mean? So I, yeah. I was just going to say, there's a comparison. I'm involved in the cycling world too, and report on cycling. And since the, like the Tour de France and other major races have been postponed and or canceled, a lot of the pro cycling has gone to some uh, eye cycling, if you will, and uh, some yep, of the yep. some of the guys speak just like you do. They, like the world champion Peter Sagan says, "I'm I'm a bike rider. I'm not a guy who's going to do a simulated yeah, bike ride. Computer and I, rider. I, I'm yeah. not a computer rider." And other guys are really digging it. Like you'll see a name, a famous name. Yep. So somebody won last weekend when they set it up on the computer and they did. Uh, you know, Liege, Bistan, Liege, and he won by three seconds over so-and-so. And I just, it cracks me mm. up. They, they've been writing the stories like it's the real deal. And then there are other right. guys who say, no, I would just as soon stay in my garage and be in my roller for five hours or whatever than do something stupid right. like that. So um, I right. thought that's the same same comparison you're giving. I guess it, it can maybe golf's the same way, although it's not it's not um, as is uh, difficult, but I guess maybe there's going to be some eye golf tournaments too. It just it just seems a little yeah. far fetched on a lot of different <laughs> levels. So yeah, yeah uh, we have funny. I'm, go ahead. Uh, yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Greg. I, I was uh, curious how often, how much track time do you get on a typical month or something? Do you go like once a week to a track or once a month or I mean between races? I I'd say probably. Just about once a month, and we probably get about. I mean, you get as much track time as you can. I mean, you in. Um, I you know when you go to the track, you, if you get three hours on a track, I mean that's just you're just you're exhausted. And, um, but yeah, I mean I've been. Uh, I like the more open track forms and, and private track days. I, I like those, and I try to get on those. Um, and you'd be surprised, like, you'll get to, like, when you have, you're not practicing, you're practicing, but you really don't want to beat the car up too much. So when you get to a level of, of like, a high amateur, you go up, you do your setup, and you get your car where it needs to be, and then you kind of stop. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, and I actually was just thinking about that. Yeah, we, I mean, I just don't, I used to go out there on, a, like, a, We'd have a track day. I'd stay out there like as much as I could and try to practice. But now we're kind of getting to a point where we go out, we do our setup, and if our setup's good, we leave it alone. <laughs> so your skill set is such yeah. that it's more like bicycle riding, I guess, in that you don't forget. I mean, you'll go out there and sharpen and, and make sure where the breaking points are. And 
and yeah, how to, I mean, how to set the car tell, up, but you, you want, you're good enough now that you know how to get the car set up and you, you kind of know when it's right and it doesn't take three hours. Oh yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll send it. I mean, one of the tricks that I do is I, I have a pro and we go out there with, he, you know, we have V we, I just got a V box, which is fantastic by the way. Um, I have, I used to use a system called AIM and it's a fantastic system, but the, the V box, we're able to compare driver to driver on video. And we'll, uh, what we do is we send, I'll put a pro in my car and let them do three laps, do baseline laps. And we'll compare uh, in a computer, like we'll have a, it's um, a graph of the track. And it's, uh, the graph shows um, it's time and it will show, it's like a um, time and speed and braking, braking and accelerating. And it's a graph that goes up and down on a chart. And so if you have the pro goes out and let's say you draw, you know, like a, a hill of a graph. And then you, if you're below what he's doing, it's your, your, your hill will be underneath the his. So there'll be a gap between the two and that gap represents the, the time loss. So, what I tried to do is close, you try to close those gaps as close as you can to a pro. Um, so that, that's how, so we'll have baseline laps and we try to do them in the same day because of conditions, barometric pressures and heat and moisture. And, um, and we try to close, close those gaps. So that's what we try to do. Well, that's good information. I didn't know they had that available. Mm hmm. Um, Greg, uh, I'm going to say that um, I'm going to be a little voyeuristic now because we, we know of you, and so I'm looking forward to seeing when your races come along, uh, checking the results like I do with other athletes. So, you, so maybe you meet somebody, and years later I'm still looking at certain guys' golf scores who I might have met 25 years okay. ago. But it's, it's – uh, hope you don't mind. you got a, you got a, a couple of new no, fa- a couple oh. of new fans here in, in, uh, in Sacramento. No, we'll be looking great. for the results. So. Um, by the way, I looked, looked, looked at some of the houses that you've built. So you've got some big time talent. So congratulations on those homes are just gorgeous. Good for you. Thank, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah. Did yep. you did you learn that area? I know it's not not auto racing, but did you learn that area from your dad or a relative? Because obviously you have a great skill set there too. Yep, I started in a family business. Uh, we were developers, um, and uh, we we did golf course communities and. And I decided to move down to Naples about 20 years ago and uh, start. I looked around and said, wow, there's a lot of golf courses here. I don't think they need another golf course. Let's start doing uh, residential construction. And uh, I started with a small house uh, downtown and someone else liked it. And, you know, that was, I'm over 100 homes in, in uh, old Naples and, and uh, 20 years later. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy it. Um, do I do a bit of custom homes, and I do some spec uh, speculation building. So um, I always have, you know, I'll have a house for sale for somebody, or if somebody likes what I do, uh, they'll hire me to build their own house. So that's great. Yeah, so, there's a guy I've yeah. gotten to know in the golf world. I think he lives either in uh, is it Bonita Springs or maybe he lives in Naples. Yep. Um, Bobby Clampett, pretty yep. pretty famous golfer. Okay. And uh, okay. So I've gotten to know him over the years. He has a a, a, a custom golf course design and instruction business i think it's also in naples somewhere but um 
Oh wow! Yeah. yeah. So, anyways, I uh, haven't never been. I've never been to been to other parts of Florida, but um, since I've been working for this magazine, I'm I'm hearing such nice things. I have to go visit here pretty soon. I think. Yeah, you should. Uh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful here. That's what beautiful. I've heard. Well, Greg, thanks for um, being available twice the last few days. Really appreciate it. Um, thanks for being our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. We'll look forward to seeing your your progress as the year goes by, and you know, hope your family mm-hmm. remains safe and and. Thanks again for for being a guest. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye now. You too.